0: Good day, my name is Larisha Govinder and I am a labour legal advisor at the CESA Durban branch. Good day, my name
1: is Simone Abrams, and I am a labour legal advisor also based at the CESA Durban branch.
0: Today we would like to discuss sexual harassment and more particularly how the employer can approach such an offence in the workplace. Simone, for a better understanding, can you please give us a definition of sexual harassment?
1: Certainly, Larisha. So, sexual harassment is primarily governed as an act of discrimination and prohibited on the grounds of sex, gender, and sexual orientation. Now, when we look at the definition of sexual harassment, it is defined as any form of unwanted or unwelcome conduct of a sexual nature, which impairs one's human dignity, and furthermore creates a volatile working environment. So ultimately, it is an abuse of power and can take the form of verbal, physical, or psychological acts. It is more often than not aimed at more vulnerable employees or employees in lower-level positions. Sexual harassment is therefore any form of kissing, touching, quid pro quo harassment, or sexual favoritism. So now that I have defined what sexual harassment is, Larisha, could you please tell us what the key points that we as legal advisors look for when dealing with such offenses?
0: Yes, certainly, Simone. This we feel is critical in assisting the employer in how to approach such a complaint of this nature. So this is the following that we consider. We look at the actual behavior of the parties, as well as the details of the matter. Should a person bring forth claims that a co-worker is sexually harassing them? We look to see if the story and that of the aggrieved party has details that could not be made up and are specific in nature to the actual sexual harassment. Remember, at the end of the day, when we deal with such cases, we are looking for actual unwanted sexual conduct, not a workplace romance that has soured and whereby the aggrieved party was part of the romance. We also look for witnesses. Taking, for example, the case of Ukuruleni, the labor court did not accept the evidence that the employee who claimed that she was sexually harassed by a staff member on two separate occasions, because there were some inconsistencies in her testimony. She also didn't report the matter after the first incident and because she didn't seek out any assistance on the second encounter. However, the Labor Court appeal held that the Labor Court only further contributed to the indignity endured by the survivor. In essence, it depends on the facts of the case as stated before.
1: So, Laresha, now listening to all that you have said, is it essential that witnesses are called in these
0: cases? They do help but it's not essential. A lot of sexual harassment in a workplace is unreported due to the specific power dynamics in a workplace. Generally, this occurs when a manager or someone of a senior authority is involved in the harassment. Simone, what do you think an employer should do if or when such an incident is reported? So, with most things related to labour,
1: policies and procedures are essential. The reason that policies and procedures are essential in the workplace is firstly to counteract such conduct and secondly to provide staff with measures in order should they wish to, you know, report such an offence. The code of good practice is also key to all employers when dealing with sexual harassment. Now, furthermore, it is important that such an offence is not downplayed by the employer or the manager because perhaps they feel they know the offending party and do not feel that this person could have committed such an offence. The culture of protecting sexual predators in the workplace is rampant. And often what happens is staff are afraid to bring forward any kind of matter of this nature, for fear of gossip ensuing, or they themselves losing their jobs. So confidentiality is key. And furthermore, taking action is paramount in these offenses. So I know, Larisha, you and I have discussed formal and informal approaches to these offenses. Could you elaborate on what you mean
0: by this? Yes, Simone, I think this is vitally important. Well, an informal approach would be to have a sit-down between the parties with a figure of authority to determine if an apology is enough or if there has been a misunderstanding between the parties. This, however, would not be advisable for situations whereby there are cases of rape, assault, or some extreme quid pro quo harassment. Quid pro quo meaning that sexual favors were exchanged for workplace favors. A formal approach is where we step in. This is by way of an investigation and disciplinary hearing process that should ensue and a sanction issued. In cases of proven sexual harassment, is it advisable that a summary dismissal of the offender be issued? This can be seen in procedures set out in Section 8 of the Code of Good Practice, as well as Item 7.7 of the Code of Good Practice. Lastly, Simone, what else can employers do to arm themselves against such misconduct? So I have just a few
1: suggestions for the employer. Firstly, I think every employer should have a copy of the Code of Good practice in their workplace. Secondly, employers or employer organizations should include sexual harassment in their training programs, orientation and education of their employees. And lastly, trade unions should also include sexual harassment in their orientation and training programs. And I think employers should possibly suggest this when dealing with any kind of negotiations with the union.
0: What I would advise all clients is to please contact your nearest CISA office should you have any queries and require any assistance in this regard.